Evidence and Answers. One of the most popular forms of exercise is yoga. Throughout the country, yoga is taught in health clubs, public rec centers, and even churches. However, is yoga simply a form of exercise? Or is there a dark spiritual side to yoga? Is it wise to participate in this type of workout? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Sukran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Joining Pat today to give us insight into this popular form of exercise is Dr. Winfred Corderan, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy and Religions at Taylor University in Indiana. Today, Pat and Dr. Corderan will discuss the history goal, and the deeply connected spiritual side of yoga. Let's join Pat now as he discusses this topic with world religion scholar Winfred Corderan. This is Evidence and Answers, where each week we provide evidence for faith in Christ and answers to the challenges Christians face as they engage their world for Christ. Well, one of the most popular forms of exercise is yoga. But what exactly is yoga? Is it wise for Christians to participate in this exercise? Well, with us today is world religion scholar Dr. Winfred Cordwin, professor of philosophy and religion at Taylor University in Indiana. Dr. Cordwin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. It's great to be with you. Yes, and he's also written several great books, one of my favorite on the world religions, Neighboring Faiths. If there's one book you want on the world religions, it's probably that one. Well, Dr. Cordwin, tell us briefly about yoga, the history of yoga. This goes back several thousands of years, doesn't it? Well, several thousand, yes, but possibly not as far as many people claim. Now, you mentioned earlier then that yoga is a very popular form of exercise, and of course, that's where the whole issue concerning yoga starts. Is it really just exercise? And I would contend that if we go back to those thousand years, and I would say not more than a little bit more than 2,000 years, that wherever we find yoga, the one thing it is not is a form of exercise. It's not a form of strengthening your body and giving it more flexibility or whatever, but it is a way of trying to escape the confines of your body and releasing your soul so that it can go on to some further spiritual destiny. The idea that yoga in its original form somehow had the purpose of serving as exercise to limbering up yourself is purely a Western invention of something that is ultimately deeply religious. I have a friend who calls it curry pizza. It's bringing together two things that really don't belong together. Or the way that I like to put it, it's like taking communion at church simply for the benefit of the nutrition in the wine and wafers or grape juice and wafers. But that's not what communion is all about. It's something that we do 
to bring us closer to the Lord or whatever your denomination holds on that, you don't do it to strengthen your body. And in the same way, the original meaning of yoga doesn't have anything to do with making your body better, but to achieve Hindu uh, spiritual aims. Well, tell us about the exercises in yoga then. What happens during these exercises and, and what is the goal? Well, there are different kinds of yoga, and many people say that what we practice, say if you take yoga at the YMCA, is simply physical yoga, and they say that this is called hatha yoga, and that this kind of yoga simply consists of doing exercises. Now, the hatha yoga pradikta, which is the uh, descriptor for it, does list a lot of exercises, but it also, more than that, expounds the spiritual benefits of Hatha Yoga. Let me read a few verses from the beginning of that particular writing, if I may. It starts out, Salutation to Adinata Shiva. Okay, we're talking about the god Shiva, who expounded the knowledge of Hatha Yoga, which, like a staircase, leads the aspirant to the high pinnacle Raja Yoga. And I'll talk about Raja Yoga in a minute. Yogan Swatmarama, who wrote this piece, after saluting first his guru, Srinata, explains Hatha Yoga for the attainment of Raja Yoga. And then he goes on and says, the following siddhas, or masters, are said to have existed in former times. And then there follow 33 names, beginning with Shiva. These masters, breaking the scepter of death, are roaming in the universe. Like a house protecting one from the heat of the sun, Hatha Yoga protects its practicer from the burning heat of the three tapas, and those are three spiritual issues that people may have. And so the whole point of Hatha Yoga is to practice the physical exercises in order to receive some kind of spiritual protection and to lead to Raja Yoga, which is the higher form of yoga. Now, in the higher form of yoga, ultimate aim is to stop all the functions of life, okay? Every function of life, whether it's digestion or breathing or movement, to come as close as you can to cease living. And you're doing this in order to imitate the Lord Ishvara, who is the god of Raja Yoga. So, when you assume a yoga position, an asana, you, you don't do it and then immediately go on to another one, but what do you do? You hold it. The whole point is to achieve a state of physical immobility, and you control your breathing. 
and it's not to get more oxygen, but it's to get less oxygen, to breathe as little as possible. And masters of yoga are supposed to be able to hold their breath for hours, if not days, at a time, because they have learned to live without breathing very often. And they don't need much food, supposedly, because they have learned that their bodies can do without nutrition. Now, I don't know to what extent some of these folks cheat or not, but that's the dated aim, is not to live better, but to come as close to a state of non-living as you can, to separate yourself entirely from the life functions of your body. And at that point, then, your soul, called Purusha in this context, will be able to be liberated from the physical world and join the other souls who live in a purely spiritual realm. Well, you know, that actually sounds kind of dangerous here. It's something that I have decided to avoid. Yeah. There was a time in my life when, not knowing what I know now, I thought, you know, yoga would be a pretty good thing for me to explore and to learn to do, because I'm the kind of guy who can be pretty uptight and nervous, and maybe yoga will help steady me. And so I started to take up yoga. This was right around the same time as I was taking classes in Eastern religions, and I discovered what was really behind yoga. So my experiment with yoga did not last very long. I realized that there was no way that I could rationalize what I was doing, as unfortunately many Christians are doing, and that yoga, qua yoga, was simply something that I, as a Christian, could not do. I was going to put myself in touch with all kinds of powers, or at least put my mind into a direction that would pull me away from the Lord and look to myself and my own spiritual energies where I should be looking at Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, tell us about, you know, the meditation techniques that are used in yoga. Well, again, the point is to escape. So the typical yoga meditation, sometimes it's outlined in eight limbs, but there's no need for us to get into a, a lot of uh, terminology here. The typical Meditation for yoga begins with the yogin sitting in front of an object, say a coal, a burning piece of coal or glowing piece of coal, and simply staring at it. Now, at first, he is aware of the distinction between himself and the coal, but then he realizes that his body is just as much material as the coal, 
it's simply stuff, physical. And so he begins to recognize his identity with his burning coal. And so in the process, he becomes increasingly aware of the distinction between his physical body, which is no different from the chunk of coal, and his spirit within. And so now as he meditates, he tries to sort out the difference between his spirit and his body and to strengthen the power of his spirit over his body. And so at this point, then, he will get good at the various physical postures and the breathing exercises and strengthen his physical powers. Now, when you read the Indian literature on yoga, there's a great distraction here. Because at this point, as the yogin achieves a certain amount of mastery, there is the temptation now to go on a tangent into magic. If your spirit has power over the material world, your spirit can do all kinds of, let's say, parlor tricks, or you know, maybe even healing or whatever claims are being made. And so you turn yourself into an object of exhibition. You have magic powers, they say. And at that point, then, you are off the path to true enlightenment. Instead, you need to pull yourself back and to continue your process of meditation until you reach a stage where you're aware of nothing but your consciousness. And then you go on in this process so that ultimately you arrive at a point of trance. Now, this is not ecstasy, but anstasy. You're looking totally inside of yourself. And a way of describing is, this is, is to say that you attain a state of consciousness of your consciousness. And at that point, then, you arrive at enlightenment and liberation. So, to summarize, the meditation of yoga ultimately is not a way of your soul reaching out, but of reaching inward. And so that's where the power comes from. And the goal then is to become your own God in the sense that you're aware of nothing but your own consciousness of your own consciousness. So it seems like the spiritual is deeply tied and interwoven in the physical exercise. So it doesn't seem possible to really separate the physical exercise part uh, from the spiritual. Is that right? Well, I would say this, Pat. 
for one thing, you're absolutely on target. I do not believe that it's really possible to do yoga without participating in exercises that are designed for pagan worship. Second, even though many a group claims that they are totally non-religious and they teach yoga only as a form of exercise, I don't believe that's really true because by the time that you're into week four or whatever the program seems to be, they're beginning to get out the candles to meditate on or the flowers or they tell you to think of nothing and so forth. So not only is it tied in, it's pretty overtly tied in, and I think there's quite a bit of deception going on when people market yoga as something that you could participate in without engaging in some kind of spiritual exercise that detracts you from Christian beliefs. You know, Dr. Cordwin, how did yoga get so popular here in the West? Well, I think uh, part of it is simply the fascination with something new and different. Part of it is that it's a way of working out, supposedly, that doesn't make you get into your running suit and do four laps around the field. It's not as strenuous. Part of it is the promises that are made with it, uh, as with you know, the, the various other ways in which Eastern religions are oftentimes marketed, that you know, this will lower your blood pressure, it will make you a new and better person, yes. it will make you more limber. And I'm not saying that yoga does not fulfill some of those physical promises. So it, it has this appeal that, that's different from what we're used to in the West. And so I think as much as anything, it has that dimension. It has a social dimension. I, I think a lot of people like to go to something where they are together with other people and are doing the same thing. It's a kind of physically more demanding quilting bee where you, know, you meet new people at your local yoga class. So there are all kinds of ways in which it is appealing. Yeah, I see. You know, well, as we bring this segment to an end, what would you tell a young person, a Christian, who says, well, you know, I go to yoga class, but hey, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that spiritual stuff. I'm not going to go high up to those upper levels. I just want a good stretching workout. What would you say to that person? I would say at this point that you are only deceiving yourself. You know, there was a time when I might have said, well, if all you're doing ever is stretching and working out, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. But the fact of the matter is that it simply does not work that way. Yoga is not designed that way, and people who claim that are either deceiving or deceived. And I would say, 
find yourself some other way of exercising, would you please? Or something maybe a little bit more diplomatic. But yoga, you cannot pursue without getting involved in what are ultimately actions of idolatry and spiritual dimensions that are incompatible with Christianity. And I don't care how many assurances you give me, I have yet to see it happen for real that people are involved in something like yoga and not get involved with non-Christian or incompatible with Christian practices. They may not know that's what they're doing in some cases, even though if they studied their Bible more closely, they would recognize that that's what's going on. But it simply does not work any other way, I'm afraid. I see. Well, if people want more information on yoga, where can they go? Well, for one thing, I have a little website or page that's part of my big complex of web information, and it's part of my main website, wincordowan.com, W-I-N-C-O-R-D-U-A-N, all one word, lowercase, and then slash yoga dot html. So www.wincordowan.com slash yoga dot html. Yes, that is an outstanding and very thorough article you have there on yoga. You've been listening to Evidence and Answers, and our guest this week has been Dr. Winfred Cordwin, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy and Religion at Taylor University, a fine world religion scholar. There's one book you want on world religions. It's his book, Neighboring Faiths. gives a good overview and analysis of the world religions through a Christian worldview. Just an outstanding book and other great books there. So, Dr. Cordron, thanks for being with us these last two weeks. Thank you. It's been great with you, Pat, and I look forward to being on your program again if you need me sometime. I hope this interview gave you valuable insight into the practice of yoga. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Winfred Cordron, Professor Emeritus of Religion and Philosophy at Taylor University. If you missed any part of this interview, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this entire interview and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by today's show, would you consider supporting this show and Pat's ministry in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org? Join us again each week for more evidence and answers as Pat and his friends continue to present reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.